Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. All right. Hi, guys. I am here with Seth Barner, and he is a fitness and food freedom coach. I found him on Instagram, as I do many people. Instagram's a great place to get to know each other if you've ever, if you haven't found that out. But Seth is someone who has struggled with binge eating extensively, and he is now taking what he's learned from his journey, and he is showing them how to get through binge eating, bulimia, and food addiction. And I really wanted to bring him on the show for specific reasons. We'll get into it. But Seth, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. Well, thanks again, Jacqueline. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, just having listened to the podcast that I've listened to of yours previously, I, I feel like we align on a lot of things, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, so my history with binge eating has uh, been about 12 years long, if I really think back to when it started, which for me was at the very end of college. Um, I was, I, I, I'm not really much of a runner anymore, but at the time I was really into running and got injured and I was not able to get that six miles a day endorphin hit that I had every single day. I wasn't able to bike or do anything similar. And so not knowing the science behind all this, I think it, in that time is when I first turned to food. I would, um, it started with like going down and eating like a jar of peanut butter in the middle of the night. And then that kind of escalated to happening the next night and the next night. and and then gaining like 60 pounds over the course of four months. Um, and then I'd say from that point on, things got a little bit, maybe a little bit better for temporarily. I was able to lose most of that weight through just the traditional kind of dieting and exercise. Um, but at the same time, it was never something sustainable. And it turned into, it turned into really disordered eating that continued uh, off and on. and never really went away until probably over the past year. So it was, it was a constant pattern of obsessing about food. I was either, I was either binging on food or I was afraid of food or I was constantly obsessing about it uh, pretty much every hour of the day. It kind of overtook my thoughts. It, it really held me back from a lot of the things that I really wanted to pursue um, and did not. And I would start pursuing those things such as coaching and I would always be held back by that binge eating. Um, and one part of all of this is that I felt there were very few other guys that I saw that struggled with this. Um, when I actually found the term binge eating a few years back, I think that was that was kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I was like, oh, okay, this is actually something that I'm not alone in. But then it seemed like there were very few other guys. And so that led me to wonder, well, what are the differences mentally and physically and societally on this between men and women? And so that's something that I've really been looking into over the past year and beginning to work with other guys who are going through this themselves. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. That was like a, a lot in one. But I'm curious because it sounds, you said you struggled for 12 years, right? Yeah, said? I'd say 12 years off and on. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a long time. Um, when did you think that you knew you actually had a problem? Because I, I see this as common where people like struggle for a long time and they just think it's normal. They just think it's part of life. Like, when did you 
see that something was going wrong? I think it was honestly within the first six months of that uh, incident at the end of college because I felt so conflicted. Um, I felt so out of control. I, I remember at one point in college or probably the summer after where I got back to running and I was starting to feel better. And then I would go back and at this time it was always peanut butter. I would binge on peanut butter again and feel so awful. And so I remember sitting in my car and crying one night because I just felt so out of control. And there was a part of me that used to run marathons that was obsessed with fitness in a very, in, in, I'd say a healthy way. And that those things, the, the things that I valued, like delayed gratification, hard work, um, authentic achievement, that sense of accomplishment was completely contradictory to the binge eating. But yet at the same time, I felt like I couldn't stop. And so that's when I really felt there was some sort of problem, but I just, at that time, I had no idea how to address it. Yeah, it really is hard to, because I think often people that struggle with binge eating, like they have this control, um, this pride in the control of their fitness and the achievements they create. Like you said, you value hard work and discipline. And then there's this side of you that just completely get goes to the wayside and you feel so horrible about it. Um, so I'm curious how you dealt with that, but I'm, I'm more curious. I know you can't fit all this in a podcast episode, but how did you first start to try to recover? Like, how did you get out of that? I think the first introduction, so it, I'd say maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago, I read the book Brain Over Binge. Um, and I, that was the first, somebody recommended in a fitness group that I was in. And it was the first time that the word binge had even really occurred to me. And so I, I read that and I, I listened to your review of that and really liked that as well, by the way. Um, it, it was a very needed thing. Yeah, I think it was a very needed thing because I think most people who even use the word binge eating have probably had some familiarity with, familiarity with that book. Uh, but until that time of reading that book for me, it was always just trying another diet. It was trying like extreme fat loss things because I only saw it as I keep gaining weight and I'm struggling to lose it. And so I just need to lose weight. And I was like, I just, I need to have more discipline. That's always the thought that went through my head. It was just, why am I so undisciplined? I just need to do something and, and stick with it. And so I would keep trying different fad diets, um, maybe nothing really crazy, but even, even if it was just counting macros, stuff that like, you know, or flexible dieting, quote unquote, that other people would say, oh, this is not a diet. This is a lifestyle. But for me, it continued to lead back, to, falling back into those disordered eating habits. So I'd say the first, even though I read Brain of Revenge, I felt like the problem was described very well. It was very, it was the first time where I, I really felt that somebody had described what I was doing with very well. But at the same time, I felt frustrated because I had a really hard time implementing what was taught in that book. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they hear that, and they're like, it's just a habit. But then it's okay. It's like, how do you break the habit? And how do you break these cycles that you're in and everything like that? But I like that you, you kind of said it was the first time it was not just a diet to go after. It's a mindset shift, which is interesting. So, and I'd love to ask you kind of like what, when you were going through recovery, what was some, some of the mindset shifts that you made 
to push, keep pushing yourself through it. Because as you know, like struggling with it for so long, it's really hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. And you feel so hopeless. You just don't care sometimes. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the, the trap and what makes it so frustrating is there were so many times where I thought, oh, this is it. Like I figured this out. I'm feeling good. Like this is, this is the answer. Um, and so I thought it was, it was over with. And after that kind of newness wore off, I would always fall back into those same patterns. And so I had to, for me, it, it came down to realizing that it was not just a mindset thing, but there was a physical component to this that, Hey, like when I eat ice cream or when I eat, um, cake or, um, peanut butter or something like that, any, any of those processed foods that they're hitting my brain in a very different way than when I eat, you know, vegetables or a steak or something like that. And so I, I did, um, I did a whole 30, um, at, I think it was 2013 and I didn't know anything. I didn't know the science behind or anything like that, but that was the first time for me that I really like was able to separate from the, the cravings and, um, like my, I guess what I would call my true self. And for me, what I realized is that I am, I tend to be a very deep thinking person. And I find that that can be a double-edged sword when it comes to binge eating, because we can be so in our own heads that, and this is where I was, I was overthinking everything all the time. I was trying to think my way out of what I would, what I felt was, what I discovered was an action problem. And so I think the biggest epiphany for me was realizing that sometimes I have to act myself into thinking versus thinking myself into right acting. Um, so once I was able to get kind of a separation between, okay, here's food that nourishes me and that actually nourishes my body. And here's food that is like quote unquote fun food or food that it, it's not going to nourish me in the same way as, as other foods. And I don't, I know some people say there's, there's no good foods and bad foods. And, and I don't think any foods are inherently good or bad. And you know, they don't make somebody, a better person or a worse person for eating them. I'm, I totally agree with that. However, there are different foods that are going to affect your brain differently and affect your body. And that, that was a big light bulb moment for me was realizing it has to be both. It can't just be a mindset shift. It has to be um, physical changes accompanying that mindset shift, as well as changing where your focus is. So changing from focusing on food all the time to focusing on uh, like other aspects of life, like the life that you actually want to live, where food is a part of that and not the entire aim, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many things that you said in there that I want to unpack. Um, but I agree with that ending statement where it's like food right now for a lot of you guys listening is taking up this massive thing in your life. And really, I, I almost tell some of people like you should maybe take food down to the amount of pleasure you get from I don't know, listening to music or like taking a shower. So like, it shouldn't be this crazy amount of pleasure that people are getting from it right now. You should still be able to enjoy your food, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be your whole life, which it is for a lot of people. And I like, first of all, that you said, what was it? At the very beginning of this whole statement you made, it was kind of like, you get frustrated with thinking this is it. And then you'd make a mistake or something, which is common. People are like all motivation. They're like, everything's new. And they're like, this is, you know, solve all my issues. 
And then of course they make a mistake because they're human and they have this habit and then they just throw it out the window. So it sounds like you had some perseverance in there. And then, yeah, with good, again, I agree, like good foods versus bad foods, they're not are inherently good or bad, like you're saying, but if you want to cut down on binge eating, it may be better to switch to more vegetables and protein and healthy fats than eating cake all the time. Like I had to um, get rid of, I, I had to get rid of easy binge foods for a little while. Like I just, mm-hmm. and, it, and I think what, I don't know if you specifically said this, but it's, it's kind of like, you can eat whatever you want, but do you actually want to eat cake all the time? Like that, and I'm sure you had to make that mindset shift too. It kind of sounds like that's what you said. Totally. Yeah, I think it was, I kind of had to, one thing that really helped me was actually reading books on addiction, um, like alcohol addiction and things like that. And one thing going back to the Brain Over Binge book that never really, that I never really understood was that she read, she got her whole basis for that book of separating from urges from a book that was based on abstinence from alcohol. And so it was based on being abstinent from that substance. And so for me, I, I wasn't clear on how she translated from being completely abstinent from a substance to, like, I guess in some ways, just trying to stop the urges themselves. Um, so I guess, like, cutting out the food that causes the urges versus um, versus have, allowing yourself those foods, but then just stopping at the urge. Because for me, when I when I was in a state of what I would call um, food addiction. And I know this is, there's so many terms out there in the space these days. And and I really don't care what the term is that people use. I think what really matters is that what's your experience? You know, how do you feel when you're eating these foods? And so what I would classify as what, when I felt addicted to foods, moderation was either extremely frustrating or it was a challenge. And I felt that the act of trying to moderate in itself was proof that I was, I was in an addicted state. Um, and what I eventually came to realize was that I had to change my entire state in order to build a new relationship with those foods. So I couldn't, I couldn't have those foods in the state that I was in without letting them kind of take over my entire life. And so what I had to do was realize that if I could get away from those foods for a while and realize and prove to myself that I don't need these foods in order to live my life, then it became easier to allow myself those things after a period of time of being away from them. And I, by the way, this is the episode that you had of breaking up with bulimia. That was by far my favorite of the episodes that you had. It, because I think that's, yeah, I, I think it's so, I think that is the missing piece for so many people is that they don't, it is like breaking up with like with your best friend in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's living an entirely new life. And I think when you're in that, that feeling of, of being addicted to that habit or that compulsion, it can, it's, and, be, and when that becomes your normal, it's hard to see another new normal. So I think you have to kind of trust in either your own process that you got from somewhere or a coach's process that, and you have to put your trust in that and say, I don't, I can't feel that there's going to be anything better than this right now. But I know that if I trust this process that down the road, there will be that my life will be better. 
and I'll be able to understand the things that I can't see now because I'm because of the way that I feel about these foods. So I know it's a very loaded answer. No, that um, was very powerful. I I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and um, it is interesting. People can't see it. It's like in front of them, they can't see what's possible for them right now, and the desire for these foods and you're right there's a lot of terms that are thrown around with addiction and like people are like oh you can't be addicted to food you know because the chemical things going on it's not like alcohol or substance abuse but when you're in food addiction when you're in this binge eating mindset it really feels like you're you you're gonna die in a sense if you don't have that and you don't care about anything else um and it sounds like obviously you're going through the same things but giving up that shift of desire and you had to trust yourself again and take these things away to prove to yourself that you're normal, which, uh, and I bet when you did it, you were kind of like, um, instead of saying you can't have these things, you probably said something along the line of like, I'm choosing not to have these things in my life right now, which is big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that how you approach those things it is makes such a difference um, because if you if you get if you leave those foods for a period of time and you see it as depriving yourself you're you're kind of missing the mark and it's only a matter of time before you go back to them and back to the old binge habits or bulimia habits because you're still putting that food as like the pinnacle that you're the pinnacle of your existence that you're trying to stay away from versus when you have that acknowledgement that okay yes, these foods are extremely delicious and it's extremely pleasurable. Um, and it has so many payoffs in a very superficial way, but I'm choosing to get rid of these right now because I believe that there's something better on the other side of the way that I'm living right now. Because if, if the way that you were living right now with binging and, um, or binging and purging, if, if it was fulfilling you, then you wouldn't be trying to change anything. Yeah. And the fact that you're trying to change something shows that you you desire something better no i 100 percent agree that you need to shift your desire and and also something you said that was really interesting is that you wouldn't if, it, if these foods are really so fulfilling if they're really that great then you wouldn't be trying to reach out for help you wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now if something weren't missing like there's so much more to be desired than food in our world right and i'm sure you found that uh, I would question, how do you feel like your life has improved now that you don't have such a huge desire for food? Oh, man. I I feel like I'm actually myself now. Um, I feel that I feel that I'm able to pursue the things that are hard, but that I actually want to pursue, that I've wanted to pursue along, such as building a business, such as meaningful relationships. Um, and I'm able to be there and fully present for those things with mental clarity. Um, and those are the things that, you know, that I have always valued, but just felt like that part of me that felt um, in the throes of an addiction was completely con- contrary to. And one thing that I've noticed most is that the further you, the, the longer you spend in your quote unquote new life where food is not the, it's not what you're aiming at anymore. It's not, it doesn't take up every single thought. The, the more you're able to see how distanced you were uh, 
from your true self when you were in the throes of bulimia or, or binging. I think that that separation becomes more clear. And the no, you I, I don't have the highs of uh, binging anymore, uh, but I also don't have the lows that come with them. And because I don't have that, I'm able to see, I, I'm able to experience the quote unquote middle, like the meaningful things a lot more. Like I'm able to be uh, more present for them and enjoy them at a, at a, at a greater level. So I'm not, I'm more even keel, more steady energy. Um, and just everything just feels more authentic and meaningful versus just superficial and empty. Yeah. I love that. And I, I would agree. It's, you don't get the highs of binging anymore. And that at one point I remember when I was looking into, you know, I want to be at this certain weight or whatever, and I want to get to these goals. And I found out I would only have to eat this amount of food or something, or I'd have to give up this amount of food for the rest of my life or whatever, which wasn't practical at the time. But my mindset, I was like, what do you mean? I can't have like a dozen cupcakes at one setting anymore. Like, what do you mean? I can't do that anymore. And it's because you just, you have to give up that high and it's not really worth it. Not like you're saying, you're able to actually experience things again. Cause when you're numbing out the good, you're numbing out the everything. It's really hard to experience things when you're on these highs and binges all the time. Yeah. That's, that's such a good way to put it. I, when you're, when food is your everything, the idea of not having it feels so depriving, but what, but when you're in that state, what you don't, what people don't see, what I didn't see um, is that you're actually depriving yourself of far more things by continuing that lifestyle. You're depriving yourself of the goals and dreams that you have, even maybe even having goals and dreams because you're, you feel so stuck in this addiction. So when people or, or in bulimia or, or binging and, and because you're, people seem to look at deprivation in only one way, which is I'm either having these foods or I'm not. And when those foods are ruling your life, when you're quote unquote getting high on those foods, it feels like you're being so deprived. But then once you have changed your lifestyle and mindset to where those foods are, you can, you can take it or leave it. And they're just a part of your life. There's such a contrast there between what is your new aim in life and what once was your aim. And that contrast makes things a lot easier to reinforce that new lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. It's especially looking back reflectively, I kind of laugh at how much I used to value food. And it's not that I think that I'm better than that version of myself. You know, obviously you honor your past self and what it had to do to get to where you are now, but it's just crazy to think how much you value those things. And and the contrast isn't there anymore. And life is just so much more valuable than food. And I feel like we could keep talking about this forever, but I really want to ask you something. I think it's extremely important to talk about, and you touched on it briefly in the beginning, but men and eating disorders, obviously they exist. Obviously men struggle with binge eating, bulimia, anorexia, all those things. But I don't, you, you mentioned it, it's not like they're very present in the scene. And so I'd love to get your perspective, you know, as a man with an eating disorder and how common it really is. And also I'll probably ask this again, so forget about it. But so there's some differences um, with men and women and you know how they experience eating disorders so I don't know if you could shed some light on that let me know if I need to ask a specific question yeah no that's that's a great great way to put it so I think that first of all there's just so much more of a societal pressure on women 
uh, for physical appearance, I think, and, and body image. And there's so much comparison out there. And yeah, I, I, that's the best way to put it is just pressure. And I think for guys, it's much less so. Um, and so because of that, maybe it's for guys, maybe it's more of, it's more of an internal thing, I think of maybe, maybe either feeling like a man, so to speak, or feeling, uh, like you have what it takes, so to speak, or feeling like you're in control of yourself. I know for me, that was a big thing was just feeling like I was in control of myself. Um, because I feel that I, one thing I'm very, I'm not saying women or not, but I feel like for a lot of guys, um, many are achievement driven. And when they feel that there is a part of them that is not as, that is completely incongruent with that achievement driven side or that side that feels like, um, you know, they're out of, that they, that they're in control. I think that's where that cognitive dissonance is, is the biggest. Um, and I think another thing, just, I think women tend to be more open about those struggles. And I, I like I commend so many people who are open about it like yourself. And I think guys, maybe they don't, the, the, the few that are open about it, maybe they don't, they just, they don't have a label to put to it because there's not as much of a community around binge eating or around bulimia. It's more just very black and white for a lot of guys. It's, Hey, like I'm overweight. I just eat too much. Um, but if you actually were to take them through and say, okay, well, why haven't we, why haven't you been able to lose this weight? It's like, okay, well, when we actually, you know, I just need to eat better. Okay. Well, what does that actually look like? You know, and when you actually break it down, a lot of, a lot of guys are struggling with this, but they never put a label to it or they never took the time to, you know, maybe join a Facebook group about it. Um, and so it's, it's not talked, it's, it tends to fall under such a broader umbrella of just being overweight. And I also find that at least in my experience, and this is not everybody, but it's such an individual thing because different techniques, I think, work for different people or different mindsets. But I find that um, for a lot of guys, it tends to be easier to say, just do this, follow this, and you'll lose weight or you'll, um, you know, you'll get the, the mindset that you're looking for by doing these actions versus most of the binging space is very mindset, very heavily focused on like kind of observing your own thoughts and observing your own thoughts and trying to change those thoughts and change that mindset. And I think ultimately everybody has to change their mindset, but for guys, it tends to be, it tends to come after they've kind of taken some action first. Um, it's almost like, again, like I said earlier, kind of acting themselves into thinking. I think it's, it's, it has to come from a more simplistic approach of just do this and you'll start to lose weight. And then once they're doing that and seeing that weight loss, then we can kind of look back in retrospect and say, okay, well, this is what we're working on here. So this is what we need to do to maintain this loss, to maintain these changes is we have to adopt this mindset of building an entirely new lifestyle. Yeah. I, well, with Ben too, and of course, I think Seth specified it too, but we're generalizing here, you know, like the, uh, there's stereotypes and everything, but men, I, I feel like men aren't allowed to show weakness as much in society. And it's such a, like, uh, of course, females have 
pressures to look a certain way and act a certain way. But I think men have an extreme pressure to be like this manly man and then also never cry and never have any sort of issues. And if they do have issues, they're just supposed to deal with it. And they don't, and a lot of men don't, and again, it's generalizing because I have known many men in my life that are open, they talk about their feelings, blah, blah, blah. But in society and movies, men aren't supposed to talk about their feelings. I read um, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. And I think the most eye-opening section of the book is when she talks to a lot of men. And I read this heartbreaking story where this guy said that his own family would rather like watch him die on the hill than, you know, show some weakness and get off of something. Like it was, I'm paraphrasing, but isn't the correct way to say it, that it just showed the extreme pressure he felt as a dad to be this strong rock. And so I, I'm sorry, that kind of just went in a backwards way, but I just, I feel like that's part of the issue for men and binge eating. And then the action thing you mentioned, I do find that, especially the men in my life seem to be more like, okay, what, what should we do? What do we need to do first? And um, they're, I know, obviously, they are very intelligent. They um, focus on their thoughts a lot, too. But a lot of, especially my dad, he likes people to tell him, okay, what type of action should I take? And that's all I want to know. <laughs> That'll help me get forward. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I just rambled a bit. But I just, I really appreciate you sharing no. all that. That's that's such a good insight. And I, I totally agree with that. And I think there's kind of like this middle ground that I found. I've, I, I used to think that no men were vulnerable, basically. And again, like, like we've talked about with like stereotypes and things like that. What I have found is that more so lately, and I think because people are being more open to this and social media has helped with this as well, but a lot of guys who are significantly overweight, like morbidly obese in like four or five, 600, 700 pound range, they tend to be very, they tend to be more open about it in groups and things like that. Um, I think because it's, it's very, because there's a lot of camaraderie there, there's, because that, that presents, you know, I've never been that weight, but there is a camaraderie there of people who have been that weight and all the challenges that they deal with. And so in that community of guys, I think there's a lot more openness going on. I think there's much less openness with guys that have maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds to lose, or even, you know, I've worked with, with people who are athletes and they're actually in phenomenal shape but they feel their life is still being run by food and that they, they can't get out of their own head. And so I think that's much less talked about because people can look like they have it together and you would never guess, like very high functioning people, very successful people look like they have it all together, but behind closed doors, a part of them is, is still feeling completely out of control and they're, they're, they're barely holding it together um, through, throughout their day. And so I think that part is more, is less represented because you can't physically see it. Mm -hmm. And so not many people are talking about that, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to be more open about it. Yeah, because you, you had gained, I think you said 60 pounds, but then I'm sure your weight fluctuated quite a bit, but it wasn't like you were ever at this 400 to 600 pound range, which is like very visible to people that something is going on. Um, and I think, I think you're right about that, where like eating disorders have no appearance. It's very common. Uh, well, especially since I started the podcast, it's like the final veil has been removed where people reach out to me now and ask questions. But a lot of them, very high functional, functioning, very normal people, like you said, and a lot of them are athletes in their career, something to do with athleticism. 
and you'd never know that they're struggling. Then on Instagram, it looks like they have everything put together, but they still have these things. So I think it's not represented. And then something you said about um, group coaching, I think that is really powerful. Um, group coaching, it allows you to see other people who are exactly in the same, same uh, scene as you and struggling with the same issues as you and they lift you up. And something, again, it's generalizing, but something I really like about male culture that at least when I was growing up, it seemed to be more common in female culture where females almost if like this other girl had something you liked, you wanted to tear her down. Where I see more in bro culture or men male culture, there's this camaraderie, like you said, and then they kind of joke with each other. And sometimes that can be damaging because they brush issues under the rug. But I do like that they usually try to lift each other up sometimes more than I see other females lifting each other up. So I think that's that's something nice about male culture. So it makes sense they work in a yeah. setting. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, I think um, I find that it's, again, that comparison game it tends to be so much, I mean, I can just go on anybody's social media feed and there's just so much more comparison and pressure uh, for women, I think, than guys. And like you said, I think maybe it's because that there less guys do talk about it. That when they when they actually do speak up about it, um, there's there's more of that tight knit feel to other guys and and lifting each other up because of that. Because it's like less of a maybe less of a prevalent thing. But no, I, I what you said about group coaching that's that's so huge. I think there's there's just something about seeing other people who are very normal people that, you know, have accomplished some amazing things and they struggle with this too. And that, you know, there's, that people aren't broken. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just something that everybody has their challenges and everybody yeah. has different ways to get out of those challenges. Yeah. No one has their life hundred percent put together. That is never the case. So it doesn't end. Totally. And something I heard that was interesting, I think said by Brooke Castillo, she focuses a lot on financials too. And she says like the more money you get, the more it just amplifies all the other issues and that it isn't specifically about money, but the, the you think once you achieve some sort of amount of success that your issues will be dissolved or you won't have to worry about that anymore, but it just keeps on growing and whatnot. But um, I know we're reaching, I've been talking for a little while, but I, and I feel like we could talk about this for a while. I'm enjoying this conversation. But um, what would be your biggest advice to men struggling with binge eating right now? I think the first thing that it comes down to is self-awareness and to actually kind of take a step back and look at your life and maybe just ask the question. Again, sometimes it doesn't have to be a binge specific question or a food specific question, but just if you were to, I, I heard this uh, from Jordan Peterson. He's one of my favorite um, thought leaders out there. And he said, if you were to just stop and sit on the edge of your bed and think, what would make my life better? And if you just looked at your entire life and you said, what would make, what could I do? What, or what do I know that is wrong in my life? What am I doing that's not right? That I know that it's not right. I don't have to th- spend time thinking about why but i just intuitively know that there's just this is not right and that's how i felt about binge eating i in my relationship with food i was like this is not right um and so i had to get awareness around that first and think okay well what would i like my life to look like if i was caring for myself in the way that i should and what steps what do i need to do to get from this point where I feel my life is being run by food and where I feel like I'm not myself to that person that I want to be. 
and acknowledging that it's going to take a sacrifice. And I, again, I love that you said that on that previous podcast because it is a sacrifice. You're sacrificing an expedient pleasure for a genuine and meaningful life. And I would, I would highly recommend, I don't say this because I'm a coach, but I just, I highly recommend reaching out to somebody not out of uh, weakness, but just out of self-awareness and a desire to truly improve your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do is to reach out to somebody who's been there um, and who understands it, who's not just going to tell you to start tracking your food and counting macros, but somebody who's actually been there and can guide you from what feels extremely comfortable right now to the, the scary unknown um, of an entirely new, not new life. Cause that's really what it is. It's it, it, addiction, binge eating, bulimia. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a habit. It's a, it takes over every area of your life. And so removing that means it's going to leave a pretty big empty hole. And so working with somebody that can help guide you and walk you through those thoughts that you're having to the, the quote unquote other side of building a new life that that path will then take you to building something that that you enjoy so much more that you don't even want to go back to those old habits because what you've built is so much better and so that'd be my biggest advice is just reaching out for help and first acknowledging that hey it's like this is okay like i mean i'm the first one to say like other people struggle with this and you're stronger for doing something about it because you have if, if you're struggling with this and you don't want to be struggling with it anymore, it means that you have better battles to fight than the one you're fighting right now. The one you're fighting right now isn't worth the meaning that you could have in your life. And there are better and bigger things that are waiting for you to tackle on the other side of this. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. I mean, bulimia is so not worth your time. And I think it's kind of dark what you said, but it's so true. It's a dark truth is that Bulimia is a lifestyle. Binge eating is a lifestyle. It doesn't, it's not just that maybe two hours you spend on a binge. It consumes your whole life, distracts you all the time, takes you away from your relationships, all this sort of stuff. It's awful. So it is a lifestyle. And and I think, yeah, I like that you even specified, you know, reaching out for help and you know, you're not just because you're a coach doesn't that's not why you're saying that. Because I think so often people get it mixed up. We're both coaches, and of course we want you guys to reach out for help, but it when someone when you reach out for help with anything whether it's binge eating or it's i want to improve my violinist skills like you take things to the next level and having someone coach you and help you pushes you to do things you've never done before pushes you to like you said that scary zone of life without bulimia and i don't know i think my life has transformed since being coached because i have a coach as well like i mean i believe in it so much so and having that pushing me it transforms your life in ways that you didn't know you had the potential to do so i think that's brilliant advice totally agree yeah i i I work with the coach as well myself and i I think i always will because it's just we are are limited in seeing our own blind spots and you know why not why not you know hitch your wagon to somebody who is further along than you and who can help you through those things faster yeah absolutely they they, they, especially with when you, you get selective hearing with yourself, even if you're a pretty humble person, there are things that you just like put in the corner of your brain. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that right now. And your coach is like, what is this? Like, look at this. 
<laughs> you don't want this. So I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, Seth, I feel like we could talk forever, but please tell the audience where they can find you. I'll have um, obviously your Instagram links below, but tell them where they should go find you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's at Seth A. Barner. Uh, no spaces or anything like that in between. And then I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook as well under Seth Barner. I'm starting to err on the side more of Instagram lately, just because I've, such as yourself, found some awesome community there. And I, I feel like, for the most part, if you look in the right places, there's a lot of uh, uplifting community on Instagram. So either place, but mainly Instagram. <laughs> um, and if they want to work with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So honestly, right now, just I have a uh, type form link on my for an application on my Instagram. Um, you can also just DM me, and I'm happy to talk to you and see if it even if coaching even makes sense for you right now. Because um, I think that's the first aspect is you know deciding that you want to change and then bringing that decision into coaching. That's that's a powerful combo. Um, but yeah, just either either of those ways. Yeah, that is one thing I forgot to mention with you is that you said you have to accept and acknowledge the problem. And I think a lot of people tend to think that if they don't accept, or if they, they pretend like Lamia doesn't exist, they kind of brush it under the rug and feel like it'll go away or that it's not real. And I used to do this when I was five and I'd like, or maybe eight, and I would like pretend that my homework assignment didn't exist but then i'd have to get it done all last minute like it doesn't go away the problem just festers it's a festering wound at that point so just acknowledging it it doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't mean that you're weak or something it just means that you have an issue that can be solved and that's a really good way to look into it so i think it's good that you said that as well all right well thank you for being on the show seth it was wonderful to have you Thank you so much. I love your podcast. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, but I truly believe that your episodes are some of the most powerful and actual, like actionable steps that people can take to begin, like to, to begin getting to acknowledge the problem and getting through it. And I, I totally 100% support it. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, thank you so much, Seth. I appreciate it. All right. Bye, guys. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.